to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. A lot of us in culture, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the history of this, but if you go and spend just even 10, 15, 20 minutes looking and, and reading some stuff, um, you can see some things through the uh, our American history to where around the 60s and 70s, um, where um, there was an emphasis on um, women's liberation and women's rights. And so the, the church crowd just got silent when people said, is it right to, to force a woman to not have an abortion? So it kind of flipped the conversation. Is it right to force her not to have one or to not allow her? So now all of a sudden Christians are like, well, we don't want to be you know, imposing our will on everyone. We don't want to be imposing that. And so the church just became silent for a while. Um, and so many people don't know the history of that. And so it, it became a, a poised argument between um, well, here, here's what God's Word says, but at the same time, uh, there are Christians, there are people in the churches that would say, well, but this is a woman's body. This is a woman's right for reproduction. And so, and this church just became silent. So a lot of people don't know the history. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I could have spent a lot of time on that. You can go and just read that. It's out there. I'm going to give you some resources later. Um, in that, and now in the, the 90s, especially around 2000, there was a big movement towards can we abolish um, abortion. And so that was a big movement that started. And you've got to understand in the church on this, um, there are people at different levels of knowledge, different, different levels of understanding and different levels of involvement, right? So there's some people who probably did their church, maybe for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the church they attended, they never mentioned this, or they may have spent 10 minutes at the end and kind of like, Hey, this, this month is this, let's pray about this. And that was all that was done. And so they kind of just learned this isn't that significant, and we don't know all the ins and outs of this. And so just really, and not, 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 I'm not trying to say this rudely, but just ignorant. A lot of us just were ignorant, and that was me. Um, and so um, growing in knowledge and understanding and involvement. And so we want to be careful if there are people, and maybe you've been around churches where this was a big thing, and now you're at a place and there's people that have no understanding they haven't been taught on this. They don't know the biblical stance on it. They, they don't know about the laws. They don't know about the misconceptions that are out there. And so it's easy to just be frustrated with them. Like, I can't believe they're, they're not involved at all. I can't believe they said this statement. That was defeated 30 years ago. That's ridiculous. And so people will say stuff. We, we can't be aggressively angry when, when people do that. And we just, we just um, have to remember that there's people at different levels of knowledge and understanding and involvement. So we want to be careful not to be shocked or angry when we encounter believers at different levels. Um, so this is an issue that's addressed in Scripture. The gospel is our motivating force on this. Um, it, it's our motivating director and our constant hope because this is a difficult tension. This is a difficult tension. Um, as we, we face this tension being Christ's kingdom, having God's word as our authority and a culture of lost people who don't believe this and don't believe in that God, and then a subset of maybe even a majority in the church who are just silent 
or ignorant and they don't know and they just don't want to do anything that would, would cause any, any, any problems or that they would be looked at as harassing or anything. And so um, we've got to be um, wise about how we handle that, how we handle that. Um, so um, as, we, as we look at it, um, there, there are certain things that people can, can say, again, that will alarm you. And so I want to be careful in, in words in this. Um, there are lots of different ways to get involved. 10 to 15 different approaches is what we would like in the future for Sojourn to be to where it's not just one Sunday where we do a sermon, we show some clips and everyone's astounded by it, but, but where there's things going on throughout the year where we can become more involved. We can pray consistently about it. We're going to get to some of those at the end, but there's, there's ways of going and serving. There's ways of taking steps of action. Um, and so in that, um, I, I, I want to be careful. Um, I was at the point where I was uh, kind of thinking that this one ballot, kind of your secret ballot, um, once every four years, you got to do that. And so maybe that's a lot of, of you guys. Maybe that's where you were at. That's where I used to be, where just your one ballot where you voted um, for a president and you thought this was it. And even if we didn't like them that much, like, oh, well, at least they are pro, pro-life, right? Um, there's so much more to be involved with. There's so much more deeper understanding. And there's so much more um, uh, atrocity that requires more than just one single vote every four years. And, and I admit, that's where I was at. Um, so as we get to New Beginnings, as we move from Tahlequah, not only do we start those uh, party with a purpose things, and I will be honest, I'll be honest, so, so it's weird. You go to this thing, and it, it's, a, it's a delicate issue. Well, here are the Catholics show up, a whole bunch of Catholic people, and they're kind of looking at us like, what are all these Protestants doing? This is Assembly of God and Baptists. So we're in the middle over here, and then, then guess what? There's people that come out of the woodwork on this. So if you've seen some of the, the one, it's, it's, uh, there's some people in the crowd, it, they, they look, there's one big issue, and they're, they're wanting to just you know, call down fire from, from heaven on people and the wrath of God, and, and, and they, they're looking at all of us. I mean, if you, have like, if you don't have Carhartt dressed and like tactical boots, they're looking at you as soft, weak, these Christians that we can't stand anyway, and we should probably blow you up second after we, we blow up the abortion thing. And so like, there are some extremists that will come in this. And so um, Jason and I were talking this week, and just because that's part of the crowd, it's a delicate issue. Um, and so if, you know, we go to something to take action, and then you know, 10 of them show up, you're kind of like, that, that's not us. Like, that's not us, you know? But at the same time, we, we don't want to say we can't take action, right? And so there's, there's wisdom in how you do that. But I was astounded. I really was. The first couple of times we had those things, we went to the state capitol, and then um, we got to actually go into, uh, his, his, his name was Mike Brown, and he had a record of voting for abortion. And so um, we got to go. There was four of us, and there was maybe several thousand people, but someone had a connection. Next thing I know, we're standing in Mike Brown's office. And so in that, uh, I, just, and I, I had met him beforehand because one of our friends, the Krebs, who were overseas, Jessica Krebs, worked in Mike's personal business in Tahlequah, it was a sign business. And so I had known him from that. And so, but, uh, and so I said, Hey Mike, man, this, this vote's coming up. You're a believer. You go to th- that church. He's a really solid believer. And so you have this stance, man, tell me your stance on this, how you can continue to do this. And he said, Sankey, I, I, this legislation, you don't understand this, this thick stack on this bill that's being proposed. Um, what it doesn't do is it doesn't leave room for the, the cases, which I'll t- mention later on. Th- and this is where a lot of people get, get misunderstood is of, of the accidents or where there's rape or there's incest or something's going on and, and the woman's, uh, woman's own life. 
And so I had just talked to some doctors. I'd done quite a bit, lots of hours of research. I said, hey, Mike, before Roe versus Wade, and you need to know this as the church, before 1973, before Roe versus Wade, ask any doctor. When they take the Hippocratic Oath, they have to save that person on the table. They, they have to save that mother's wife. I mean, that mother's wife. That mother's life. That's a whole different, that's next week's sermon. And so uh, they, they have to do that. So I was like, Mike, um, in that case, that doctor isn't going to go, well, we're just going to do this. And so, and, and another thing, so that, that's not even a true fact. They, they have to save that woman's life. And so, um, the, so secondly, uh, the number, so like, so it's around 5,300 to 6,000 per year in Oklahoma, the number of abortions in Oklahoma, three places, um, one here in Tulsa, one in Oklahoma City, one in another city. Um, in those three places, around 6,000, 5,300 to 6,000, sometimes it's higher. Um, in that, um, out of like 2020, 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, guess how many of those cases came up? So, so if we're, we, we can't stop this from happening because of the, this one situation, guess how many come up? There wasn't one out of 6,000 in 2020 or 2019 or 2018 or 2017. I think there was a year 2016 there was one case and it wasn't it wasn't a rape or incest it was um, it was actually a, a situation on the table here's the mother's life and and, because, and they you know they said um, well see that case right there that's what those the, that legislation does the doctor still had to do his duty he still had to save the life of that mom so just know that that's that that's out there and so you can talk to medical people about that so that was me uneducated but learning a lot researching a lot and, and saying mike mike let's be honest man you you know this and he didn't like that I and mean, he and so i even met with him at his sign company i met I, I, we took two groups up there to oklahoma city uh, when we got to new beginnings another church we, there wasn't a lot of understanding on it and so again at new beginnings i just began to ask hey could we start in january like having one sermon series on on this issue of the sanctity of life so um i want you to understand that we want to make steps um we want to take good steps um as we're doing that we got to be careful inside even our own church but also with other believers to where we're not judging levels of oh man you're really weak why are you just doing this and so there is there is even some people that uh, at our one of our churches that um it was almost like we've only got 10 in our abolition movement why is the rest of our church not in this abolitionist group well, in that group, especially on social media, it was you'd have the, the ones that were very far out on the side, and so people were very, very afraid of um, being identified with that because there was the things like the Westboro stuff that was going on, and there was other um, groups like that, and so um, it, it's a delicate issue. My concern for the church is how we will communicate the love of Christ even if it's not overturned in our lifetime. And so right there, even me saying that, if there's people on the, that were on the far end, they're like, don't, why are you even saying that? Why? I'm going, hey, hey, listen, I've probably spent more time researching and done more and met with more people and talked with more people about this and spoke on it more than you've spent the couple of hours that you've done it or your one vote every four years. But what I'm telling you, if you want to be honest, look at the, the maybe if you want to look at, well, we've had Republican presidents for eight years and it didn't flip it, guys. We've had, we've had lots of justices. One of my close friends and coaches with me, he's a federal judge now, appointed by Trump. 
in Tulsa and, and Muskogee. And I talked to him about this issue. Hey, I was kind of like, hey, you know, like, can I get him? And like, uh, you know, like, hey, could we do some stuff? You know, like, and he's like, man, it's a good, and he's, he's just like where we're at. But it, it's a delicate issue. So let's think through that. When I say that, I, I want you to remember that um, limitations are good, but we want it overturned. But my concern is how do we communicate the love of Christ through gospel word and gospel deed. And remember, the gospel, it's, it's good news. And sometimes what I see some people jump to is law, 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 wrath, wrath, wrath. God's about to, you're an abomination. All the, And you're like, man, there's 53 different abominations. Which ones do you have? But on this one issue, sometimes the church can become so uh, enraged and not only judge people and just like now there's levels of involvement and, and you're not at our level and you're not at our level of understanding and so we want to do a good job of beginning to educate so if this is the first time for you and you're already like i hate this this feels uneasy this is ridiculous and then some may be going like more let's do it every week for 10 weeks and i've been in place literally where they said we should spend three months on this every single sermon this i mean and it becomes a big so um I want us to first see our biblical stance. So first, know God's voice, a biblical stance. And then second, we're going to see God's intimacy and creative genius, just the development of life. And third, we're going to see um, these facts and arguments. And then last, we just want to learn how to act. And I mean, not only actions, taking actions as a, as a body of believers, but also what posture do we take as we move forward? We're supposed to be Christ-like as we share Christ's words. And so that can become difficult. Um, so as we look at this first, um, know God's biblical stance. First of all, uh, this, this may be kind of, you may start going, Sankey, this is really, really just duh. Like we, we all know this. You'd be surprised the number of people in the church that don't have this biblical weighty mass that is immovable in their, their faith, understanding the tie to this sanctity of life that we were made in the image of God. So uh, if you want to look with me at Genesis 1, 26 and 27, um, just the very first at the very beginning, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so this aspect of God creating us in his image is the foundational element. There's something holy, and so if you're strong, reformed over here, and like, oh man, we're depraved, don't you dare mention holiness. There is something holy and beautiful in God's act of creating every single little fetus. God was not just passive and said, back, hey, there's something beautiful about that. That's the image of God and man. And so when I've been around strong reform circles and they're just depravity, depravity, we're just worms, we're just worms. I'm like, man, God sure had a lot of love for a lot of worms. God still pursued us all through the Old Testament. God pursued his people. God pursues no matter how much. And so sometimes what, in, in, in the reform circles, what people want to do, it's almost this false attempt of like, God, if I talk so much about my depravity, uh, will, will I rise up in your status and you'll see how, how, how good I am? You don't even realize that's what's happening. And, and so seeing the image of God in man, the beauty that we, we can't even understand the depth of that. In Genesis 9, 6, so um, when you see the incredible value and worth that God placed on each person in his image, 
You see in Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. So if you take a life, your life should be taken because you don't understand the value of life being made in the very image of God. Not just the intricacy in the work, but, but something about the connection there. Like I said, that's something holy, something beautiful that the Creator does with His, his um, most highest um, thing that He placed value on, mankind. Um, in Job 33, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives, li- gives me life. Think through that. Um, Psalm 100 Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And again, you may be saying, Sankey, duh, well, we all know this. But, but do you really know it down deep? Do you really think through what that means? Does it cause appreciation and awe and worship? No. Know that the Lord is God. Have we, have we dropped our awe and reverence in just that? We are his people. And so um, just some very basic, simple things that, again, we could look at and think, man, yeah, that's just given. We saw earlier, just like in Exodus 20, because of the image of God in man, in Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, right? Pretty clear. Um, and then there were people that had the argument, so I have a stance, a uh, very clear biblical stance, really well, widely, except so I am pro-life. I don't think that there should be abortion ever, ever at the case. And I'm also strong on the death penalty. So you may go, oh my gosh, you're the most confusing. That's ridiculous. I have, so there's a difference between, uh, so I, I have a biblical stance here that God does this. And, and it goes along with those questions that some of us have had, like, oh, so you're so pro-life, but yet God said, hey, David, go in and find all the ites, the Hizites and the Jebusites, and go slaughter them all. That, that's tough, isn't it? That's a tough, like, and you shall not murder. Acts chapter 4, I set it up to murder my son. I was slaughtering my son on your behalf. The God who says you shall not murder also tells people go in and do this. And then a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of times in the Old Testament where you're just like, man, Uriah, uh, like, wow, like, sorry, dude. Like David just kind of like, I made a mistake there. Let's go on. And so um, things happen and you're like, man, what's what's the deal? There's a difference between um, malicious murder and then God's justice of that so that that's why he has the right to say if you take a life in murder we it's not the same murder situation for us to take your life so you may be offended and turned off but i have a strong stance pro-life i have a strong stance for the death penalty at the same time and so um i will if you go and do certain things and that may be offensive to you i will pray with you i will come to prison and meet you i've done that i've been to the prisons i've been to big mac i've met with different people if you touch a kid and do something um i will um, pray for you i will try to have grace and mercy I will fight every day for grace and mercy because I would be so wanting to take you to Salisaw with some of my friends on a back road and drag you for a while. But I will meet with you and I will pray that you would be forgiven, that you would understand the gospel and all those things. If you murder someone, I will do the same thing. But, but I do believe you need to die. 
I would want it in a month, two months. If you do some of the things that we watch on Netflix, um, you know, it's like 30 years. You get like a master's degree in, in prison and have better TV than we do. And so I, I would want it quick and swift. I think God has a stance on that. And so you may be confused like, man, this is getting crazier. The gospel transforms our thinking. And so God says, um, you shall not murder. Um, look at Matthew chapter 25. It's going to be on the screen there. Matthew 25. I think this is 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the glorious throne, his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did, you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So the, the idea of the least of these. Then he goes on, and the king will answer, uh, I'm sorry, at 41, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do to, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. If you notice, you go into the next, look at the next verse in 26. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, which are very difficult sayings if you go back to Matthew 23, 24, and 25, and a lot of judgment, and he, he's clarifying it's towards the end of his ministry, and then it says, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. You put 25 and 24 and 23 in context of that verse. This is, this is talks leading up right up to the Passover when Jesus is going to be crucified. And so he's saying, so it's fitting in with, with the cross. It's fitting in with the gospel narrative. The biggest point of that's about to be revealed, and he's saying, it's getting serious. And so we know Jesus isn't saying, if you do all these things, you get to go to heaven. If you do these things right, you're good enough, and you earn your way to heaven. We know that that's not the gospel at all. That is not faith alone, by, by grace alone, in Christ alone, right? So that, he can't be meaning that. He also is not saying, if you fail to do these things, I, I provided some opportunities, and, and you didn't do them, then, you, then you're not going to get in either. 
I try to provide some opportunities for you to do something. You refuse to do it, and therefore you didn't earn your way in. That, that can't be what he's saying. It's a gospel of grace. It's by grace that you've been saved. So what does he mean there? What he's saying that it will give fruit in your life, the evidence that flows from your life is not just, I have knowledge of it, but it, it's, it's repentance, it's renewal, that the fruit of your life will be a, life, a, a lifestyle and, and an action that will, will be evident in your life from a heart that's been transformed. If you understand the gospel, is what he's saying, if you understand what I'm about to do, in two days, the Passover's coming. I'm about to be killed and crucified for all sin. If that has reached down to the depths of your bones, it will change you. It will transform you. So that's what he's getting out with these guys. Beautiful picture there. The person who understands what all has taken place, just like we sang in his life, death and resurrection, will be changed entirely. What we're hoping is that the gospel of Christ is what will change hearts and of women and men who are looking at this pregnancy as a, as a temporary problem. We pray that the gospel would be what would change them, the good news of the gospel. We pray that the gospel of Christ would take hardened hearts on the, the pro-choice abortionists in and soften them to understand the beauty of sanctity of life made in the image of God. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. What made him switch right there? Statement, statement, response. Again, we kind of read over it, and we have a better view with you know technology than he does of what that means. You created me, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Have you ever had that quiet time where it just seems like? It's, you're just, it just pauses and God halts you. And you didn't know it was coming. You thought it was just maybe your little checklist and God just pauses you. And all of a sudden, just gratefulness and thankfulness and praise or repentance and confession. And it turns into renewal and pray. And like, that's what's happening with this psalmist here. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, and if you understand the, the Hebrew there, the picture that he's doing there is, again, that same word there. It's almost the same word. It's, it's close to where in Genesis where it's the picture of the Holy Spirit. And I've told you before that the, the words are the hovering of the whole, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And, it was at, and so it's not just like this, like, oh, man, six days. It's going to be a long time creation. Like it's a picture of this masterful, um, what do you call those guys? I almost said architect. That's not an architect. The guy who's doing the, the instrumental, somebody help? Conductor, conductor is the word. So that, that conductor, this masterful conductor. So remember, Jesus is not on the sideline waiting. You're like, oh, I got to wait like 4,000 years to get, that would be cool. It's, so the spear is this conductor doing this stuff. Close related word here, the hovering to woven together, that there's this intricate thing that God's doing in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one day even came to existence. That's scary to think about this God. He has our days numbered. We were made in the image of God in God's likeness. Not only is each person made in the image of God, but God reveals to us his own intimate involvement in us being made. 
fearfully, wonderfully made. And on top of that, God clearly commands us not to take the life of another. So we see that clear biblical stance. Look at the second thing. God's intimacy and creative genius. So this is the development of life, and I'm just going to go through those quickly. But first, I just want you to see, it seems so simple. So the first one is just um, at conception, one sperm out of hundreds of millions, that's crazy, um, will penetrate the outer layer of the ovum and fertilize it. Immediately, the surface of the ovum changes its electrical characteristics. What? Like, that's nuts. It changes its electrical characteristics to where all other sperm are locked out. Is that not crazy? <laughs> like, there's so many other ways that that could have been done, and God goes, I'm going to make this mysteriously complex. J just think of the beauty of that. A genetically unique entity is formed called a zygote. I hope I'm correct on that, so I'm not really strong in biology. Uh, at this point, the 23 chromosomes of the mother, 23 chromosomes of the father, sperm, from the zygotes, 40, they form the 46 chromosome structure. At this point, it's, it has its own unique DNA structure. At this point, this new creation, the zygote, is considered biologically alive. It has the four criteria for biological life. Metabolism, growth, reaction to stimuli, and it can re reproduce. I think that's all that doctors go to school for, to find out those four things. I don't know if what else they exaggerate on, but, but the, I mean, I feel like I'm there. At this point, this teeny tiny creation's sex, his gender, hair color, eye color, fingerprints and things are already determined. I mean, can you imagine that? And some people would say, you know, well, actually life doesn't start till nine to 10 days later when it has attached to the uterus and it's actually alive. Can you imagine a thousand years of science class in heaven? Maybe we're going to get there and we're all thinking like, oh, it's just worship services and all. And then he's like, hey, we got science, renewed science 101. Everyone goes for the first 10,000 years, but you get to ask questions. Toss out the books. They were wrong. Here's actually how I did that. Will that not be cool? I'd probably still get like a D in it. Um, here, here's what this one guy says. But when the sperm and ovum join, so that you may have a slide there, Dr. Wilkes, um, there is created at that time a new living being, a being who has never before existed in the history of the world and never again will exist. God's going, that was me. That's mine. That, that was me. I wove that together. Do you, do you see that? A being not at the end of the line, but at the dawn of existence. A being completely intact and containing within himself or herself the totality of everything that this being will ever be. A being moved forward in an orderly process of growth and maturation, destined to live inside the mother for almost nine months and for as many as a hundred years outside. Nine months in a sack of water, a hundred years outside. Who comes up with that? That the stork almost would like be better, you know, except it doesn't give glory to God. And God goes, Let me amaze you with this. So let's go back to those boring verses. The Spirit of God has made me. Struggling with depression, suicide, anxiety. Here's your rock to hold on to. He can calm the storms. 
He knows the little elements and, and the little DNA and the little bitty um, things physiologically, the chemicals in your brain. He can calm the storms. All the things that are going on, the Spirit of God has made me. He owns me. Things are crazy psychologically, mentally, emotionally, physically. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. At this point, the zygote divides into two cells called a blastomere. And so they go on this uh, continual dividing over and over again until they get to this point where there's this cavity that appears in the center and is now called a blastocyst. I would have given them different names. It has an inner group of cells that will become a fetus and an outer group of cells that will form the membrane. So out of this, two things happen. One becomes the fetus and then one becomes the, the sac the, the, that, that protects and nourishes the inner cells. It has, it, then it starts to attach itself to the inside walls of the uterus. So how does it do that? Why does it do that? How does it know to do that? Let's go back to those boring duh verses. No. So remember I said, oh, I know. I know. I know the verse. Know that the Lord is God. We should just be halted by just seeing those type of pictures. It is he who made us. We are his. He owns us to that degree. We are his people. We should be seeing his work, his greatness, and just give him glory. Um, just seems like just a simple deal, but God does some beautiful things. Um, if you look at the next one, um, the third week, um, the fourth week, um, I think it's the fourth or fifth week that I had there, um, the embryo is now about one-twelfth of an inch long, so it's the size of a pencil lead. It most resembles a worm. Its heart begins to beat at about 18 to 20 days. 18 to 20 days. Just some incredible stuff. Think through his omniscient power. So this itsy-bitsy thing in its heart is beating. Psalm 139 again. For you created my inmost being, breathing life, weaving it together, and the little heartbeats. Just a beautiful picture. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I stop and praise you for that. At four weeks after conception, in, in five weeks, um, and one art, article's author says, the embryo still has a tail and cannot be distinguished from a pig or rabbit or elephant or chick embryo. Yet, for this brilliant PhD scientist, so far, out of the billions and billions, there has never been a chick or elephant or zebra or pig that popped out of a woman, right? So, I mean, so far. So, they make this educated estimation on so far as a tail. We just don't know. We just don't know, really. I mean, at this point, it could turn into an elephant. Granted, billions upon billions haven't yet, but we're just saying it has a tail. So, j just think of those arguments. Um, at week, uh, the different weeks it goes on and on. So you see some of the beautiful things that happen um, after conception. At the five-month stage, um, you, can, you can see little things. Babies as early as 20 to 21 weeks, a baby's chance of survival rate increases 4 to 5% per day. So 5% in one day. 
you wouldn't want to know how many abortions have been performed at that level when the fingerprint is there. If you've had miscarriages, late miscarriages, three, four, five months, to know it, it didn't just have like a, a little um, fingerprint. It didn't just have a little bitty um, membrane. It, it was a little person. So we've got to see the beauty of God's work in this. We've got to have our biblical convictions, see God's stance, but we also have to understand the beauty of God's intricacy in that. We also want to understand the facts and the arguments. So I, I want to quickly just hit on these. I think we have a list. So size. First of all, people will say, so for a long time, size was an argument. Does a two-month-old have completely utter less value than a 72-year-old or, or you know, a seven-foot-tall person? Do we, do we do value on size? No. Nowhere outside of the womb do we ever do that. But there are arguments, and there are still arguments in certain states that would say that because of size, we're going by size, that's why abortion will be legal at this state. So size would never be the situation. Yes, tiny. Yes, extremely small. But, but definitely babies. Size is irrelevant to one's state of personhood. A one-month-old is smaller than a five-year-old, but we don't consider the five-year-old's worth more, uh, five-year-old worth more life than the, the one-month-old, right? A tiny fetus the size of a pencil point does not have less value than another fetus the size of an eraser or a lima bean. Size is irrelevant outside of the womb in development and inside the womb of development. That may help some people. Size is irrelevant inside the womb, just like it's irrelevant outside the womb. Ability and development. Degrees of reasoning or degrees of cognitive ability, they do not determine personhood. Again, a five-year-old versus a 50-year-old. Do we go, well, that one should die because this one has more cognitive ability, reasoning ability, more abilities to act? No, not at all. We wouldn't do that. There's contradicting justice. When two persons' rights are conflicting, the greatest right should be the one that is ultimately protected. The lesser right, the lesser right yields to the greater. So an interesting scenario, if, if a woman and a man discover that they're pregnant and they decide, we are going to go down tomorrow and we're going to go to the abortion clinic and we're going to end and terminate this pregnancy, we're going to terminate this little baby, um, they can go and do that freely, right? If they're on the way down there tomorrow, that, that next day, and a guy comes and is, has a DUI and crashes into them and the mother dies and the baby dies, what, what's he up for? Two cases. She can go and do that, but this guy goes and crashes into them, and he gets two counts of murder. So just that—that—that's that, ignorance and contradicting justice. And, and, and lawyers and attorneys they will they will fill those papers, you know, with, with that type of stuff. And sometimes I'm 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 serious. I've talked to several four to five um, representatives uh, when we moved here. We had two guys. I had one time I had a senator who's up in Washington. His son was on our team. One time I was yelling at a ref, and literally later, this is how politicians. He was like, "Hey, Sinky." Would you like me to go speak to him? I was like, what? No, I'll yell at them again if I have to. You know, he, he, he literally thought like, let me step in and um, bring democracy. I was like, these kids are six. He was making bad calls. And so um, these, these politicians sometimes, they, 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 it's not that they're always right. And so it, it's difficult stepping into their office and saying those things, but we can. And, and some of these are ignorant, ignorant stances and um, uh, things that just shouldn't be there. Um, 
technology. Technology has provided so much that, that we can see um, clinics and states that are required to give alternative options and that are required to provide ultrasounds and 24-hour waiting periods. The percentages drop from 50, to, to 50 or 60% down to as low as 14% if they just go, so you're coming for this abortion, we're going to do an ultrasound first. And then you've got to go home for 48 hours. 60%, 14%. Many don't come back. That's good. That's, that's a win. Would we like them to come back the next day and the place be closed down? Definitely. But that's huge. I mean, thousands upon thousands of lives. And if you, I could go into the statistics on the, how many lives that is. Is it alive or not? Is, is it a fetus? Is it a baby? What is it? It's a clump of cells. You've heard that now frustratingly for scientists and, and pro-abortion people, I mean, technology and science has come around to go, oh no, like I was saying, it's hearts beating at this point, even at day one, day two, here are the things that we know from DNA. And, and in the next 20 years, it's going to explode. It's going to be down like, you know, hour two, we can show you all the things that we know, you know. And then, of course, there'll be people trying to evilly do something at, you know, hour two to just extract the DNA or something and use it for, you know, growing trees in Africa. And so, and that'll be fine, but yet we, we can't end abortion. So there's extreme case argument. Again, the life of the mother versus the life of this child. And so, well, what, what if it's rape? What if it's incest? What if it's, uh, if, if she's in a, it's endangering her life? That, that's already on the books. Before 73, before Roe versus Wade, doctors had to deal with that. That's a serious thing in the Hippocratic Oath. Um, uh, as far as more stats and statistics, our national number, the number of abortions in, in the U.S. since Roe versus Wade is 60 million. Um, if you divide 60 million by the number of years since Roe versus Wade, 73, it averaged to close to 1.3 million abortions per year in the U.S. So again, and this is where I feel like the Christian crowd has been over like, oh, I didn't know that. And then also, I, I like, but we can't change that, or we don't know what to do. But that's an astounding number. There's, there's more than that because some states don't have to report but 60 million accounted for. Two agencies track this, the CDC, which is public government. You guys know about that. You've heard of the CDC lately. The Gutmacher Institute, they, um, they have their own stats on this also. CDC is usually a little bit higher. Uh, states like California, Maryland, New Hampshire, they do not have to report their abortion totals. Do you know how many people live in California? It's a lot. Um, there are 46 to 50 million abortions in the world every single year. 46 to 50 if California and New Hampshire don't have to report, what about tiny little countries with crazy regime leaders and, and crazy situations or big places like China that says you only get one child and it better be a man? How much is reported there? And still we know of the facts of the ones that are reported 46 to 50 million abortions in a year. Um, state of Oklahoma, number of abortion clinics in Oklahoma this is encouraging, has declined over the years. 18 in 1982. There were 18 abortion clinics in 1982. Today, three. That's great. That's good progress. Zero would be better, right? Because still, between the three, there's about 55, 5,300 to 6,000, sometimes 6,400, 6,500. So if you do that and you figure that there's 6,000 or even 5,300, uh, I think it was last year's, out of 5,300 um, abortions per year, that's about 20 abortions per day between the three clinics here in Oklahoma, 20 a day. Um, 
restrictions on abortion in Oklahoma. So we've put through many uh, laws and restrictions that have helped to limit that. So we, had to, we are one of the states that have some of the strongest restrictions. I'm going to hit these quickly. You must go through counseling, meaning that they are supposed to tell you uh, the long-term potential effects of depression and uh, suicide and guilt and shame and all those things. They're supposed to do that. Um, You've you all seen the videos when they're not doing that. They're actually kind of encouraging you just, just to go ahead with the abortion. So they're supposed to go through counseling on long-term effects. Um, insurances, um, it's only covered if it's life endangerment. So a lot of people have the problem with Obamacare, uh, that, that they were like, well, hey, our, our taxes are going to pay for this. Oklahoma said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, your taxes aren't going to pay for that unless it's a life endangerment case. How many have we had of those? Not very many. So, so just know if you, that we, we don't want to have a stance that I'm worried about our taxes, but but, if, but Truly, we're a state that says we're not going to let our taxes just go for that. Um, there's also there's a prohibit on the use of telemedicine for abortion. Uh, just the, the pill uh, must have parental consent and be notified. No, parents have to be notified. A young girl goes in with her boyfriend. Uh, you have to have parental consent, and then it's still you have to go through the counseling. And then I think Oklahoma is 72 hours. Some of the new stuff is, I think it was 72 hours, uh, 48 or 72 hours. That's, that's two or three days and the ultrasound. So we've got some firm laws there that are built as hurdles and hindrances. And you're supposed to um, contact, they're supposed to contact the parents and then also have to, the parents sign on. Interestingly, the, the place in Tulsa though, if you go to their site, the first thing you click on says, we have ways around that. There are, there are loopholes in the law. Come meet with us, and we can get around that uh, parent's uh, consent. I mean, page one. It's just, it's just interesting, you know. So um, we, you have to understand um, what we're dealing with. Um, Oklahoma, we're 0.6 of all abortions in the U.S. Good news, bad news. The good news is that we're, we're one of the, the least, but bad news, that's still a lot. Um, here's some relatively good news. Clinic closings and law restrictions rising. So in the northeast part of the United States, 59 new abortion clinics with only six laws that were restricting. 59 new abortion clinics. In the Midwest, negative 33 abortion clinics. So 33 clinics closed down with 156 new law restrictions. That, that, that's progress. That's good. That, that's taking things and, and seeing God's grace on that. So we can thank God for these. In the South, where we're at, 50 abortion clinics closed and 180 new law restrictions. That, that's good. That's progress. That, so let, let's be a part of that. Let, let's see that happen. In the West, um, seven abortion clinics closed, 52 new laws. So um, that, those are some good things that we need to thank God for, and we need to go, so God, what, what's my part? What's, what's one step? What's one step? Not just a vote every four years. Um, I remember being at seminary at Southern, and I remember this is God, 12 years ago, Then they said, what are you going to do as pastors? What are you going to tell your church people when for a number of years the um, religious right has, has said, hey, well, we've got this president, and we're voting for this. What are you going to do? When both sides, when both candidates are, neither one is pro-life and neither one is pro-marriage. How do you lead your people then? And so that's a reality that we're just kind of looking at, right? I think everyone's like, that's setting in. And so how to act, how to take action. Again, not only just taking action steps, there's lots of things that we can do, but also the, the manner and the heart and the faithful um, gospel witness that we can be in that. I'm hopeful to see um, change. Um, 
There have always been certain areas and certain things that the church has had to address in different time periods. So remember, that just do a little church history quick in your mind. Um, uh, from early heresies, 100, 200, 300, 400 A.D., right? Early heresies, you get Christology wrong, it's bad for everyone, right? So then to control the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church took over. Church was dealing with that, right? Um, to um, the sufficiency of Scripture, to the Reformers' insistence on justification by faith alone and Christ alone, uh, to slavery, to abortion in our own time period. And so in all of those, the church has had to deal with some things, these things. And the church has either had a witness that was really bad or that was Christ-like. And so the gospel of Christ is the only thing that will change hearts that are darkened and misled and deceived right now for so many who would take a stance for the killing of these God's smallest lives made in his image. So I've been very careful not attempting to shame us if people are at different levels of knowledge or understanding or engagement. Uh, this may be the first time just knowing different groups of people that you've heard through this. And, and some people are like, I don't think that we're even supposed to talk about this, uh, but we are. And so I simply ask that you would truly take the time to consider asking the Holy Spirit, not, not just in this service today, but, but this week, to ask him to give you a heart like his on this matter. Just say, so what would that look like, God? Man, and, and some of us maybe there's times when I got I got into some arguments with people and I probably didn't handle it right when they started they were they were saying just some ridiculous stuff. We we're living on a college campus. It was extreme liberal professors and stuff, and they were just throwing out stuff. I was like, that was like in eighty, nineteen eighty when they were saying that stuff. You know, it's like, have you heard of a microscope? And so like they were just throwing and I would, you know, it's easy to get kind of smart alecky or whatever. And so man, we, we have to come um, understanding that people are at different levels and the people that we're gonna engage with um it, it's messy. This is messy. Um, I've heard of the churches and seen the churches where the guy stands up and like, you know, not only does he start just like con condemning it and talking about it, and you just see women crying and getting up, getting up, crying, getting up, crying, getting up. And, and he was making it this thing where like this one thing, you're the very worst, you're the worst person, and I doubt you could, Jesus could even save you because if you've done this, it's horrific. Instead of going, understanding, man, they're probably... This is probably the, some of the most delicate things for some of them. But we don't think so because we see the antagonists that are out there that are so pro-abortion and doing the and just flaunting it. And so we get frustrated with them. And so we, we kind of get this enraged embattlement. And, and that's not the way Jesus wants us to act in that. So maybe for you, that first step, I want you to consider here are some things, some optional first steps. First, just to pray. It's a painful, delicate, emotionally charged area. We as Christ's ambassadors need to be consistent in prayer and humility and love. And so maybe if you're one, if you're one of those that are just frustrated and angry with it, uh, every time it comes up, it just gets you. And every time in a new election or even every two years when they have those people, you're just like, oh, I can't believe this. Um, and just praying, hey, God, would you let me have your heart on this? And, and would you let me have your righteousness on this also? Not just being right, but the way I treat people, the way I communicate this, um, am I communicating the love of Christ on this? Just pray. Um, serve. Um, Matt Pack's mom, I hate to call Matt's name, but his mom's funeral, truly, uh, I, was just, I was just like, let's go, let's go. Hearing women get up and talk about her, her work at the Crisis Pregnancy Center, years and years and years. Young teenage girls who are now, they're 35, with children going like, it changed my life. She got in my life and just shared a Bible study with me. 
had me over and we fixed meals together. She showed me how to cook, told me about being made in the image of God, prayed with me, led me in Bible studies, woman after woman after woman. And, and that, that's just a few that they put up there, not, not to mention tens, 20 stuff, just from serving at a crisis pregnancy center or one of those children's home and those things. Beautiful, beautiful lifelong service that changed lives and changed generations because of appreciation for people made in the image of God and a biblical understanding, and most importantly, her gracefulness in that, her, her grace and loving attitude with probably young teenage girls who were throwing out all kinds of things of they thought they were right, and she's like, hmm, that's interesting. That'll take six months to get it out of her head. That's crazy, you know, but not just saying, hey, stupid, get out of my house. No, 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 come back again next week. Come back again next week. Come back again next week. That's grace and love. Um, writing to your congressman, it really does affect him. Mike, one time he did, his eyes teared up, and he said, when you have a stack of over a 1,000 letters and you get emails every week, it affects you. So just know those things do happen. Um, get involved. Some will travel to OKC to meet with officials. Some will start a party with a purpose type event. Some will serve at the crisis pregnancy center. Some will meet to pray at the abortion clinic. Some will organize prayer teams or adopt babies. One of the biggest arguments is, hey, you're big on uh, pro, uh, pro-life, pro but you, the church sure hasn't been there to um, then take care of all these babies. And they're exactly right historically, but we can we, we, we want to. We want to do those things. And maybe some of us, even people like us, are like, oh, man, I'm counting down the days where they're almost like that, you know, out the door. And then, like, what if God goes, no, we want, we want that. At New Beginnings, we had two or three families that we, we started this little bit of a movement. It didn't feel like very much at all. Two or three families literally did that, made connections with girls who were about to have an abortion, and they met with them and did that. And we have two or three different sets of friends who now, they adopted that baby. Even with all the like, hey, she was on drugs, she was all kinds of bad stuff, there could be some problems with this baby, and they're like, we're all right, we're, we're going to adopt. And that, that's, that's weighty, that's, that's difficult. But God did that in their heart. Um, so all kinds of ways to get involved. Here are some websites that I put up there. Abort73, abort73.com, liveaction.org, desiringgod.org. Um, so that's where we start. That's a lot. That's a lot of heaviness on your plate. Those are some ways to, to look at some places, to ask questions. Um, they're pretty solid. There, there's all kinds. There's, there's 10,000 over on this side. There's 10,000 over on that side. Um, I would even suggest this. In all my research every year that I do this, I, I, I will, I'll, sometimes I'll, I'll go listen to the other side and hear some perspective of some of the women who have went to those places or some of the things that have gone on and hear what Christians have done in the, in the name of the Lord they've done these things. And I'm like, okay, don't, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't be like that, but still take action. How can we do that in a way where we're still taking action, but we're, we're not doing it in a way where not only are those people affected by it, but the, the thousand people around their life are also going, man, that's exactly why I hate the church. Like, we don't want to be that type of place. We, we believe that there are lots of ways that we can engage. And so um, as we close, um, I'm going to pray for us. So again, uh, I, I don't think that this was too disturbing for anyone here, uh, but um, I hope it was informative. Um, I, I have any of those quotes and stuff. I have all the statistics and I have all the references. As Colby comes back up, um, we're going to enter into the Lord's Supper after I pray. But uh, just begin to ask the Lord, where, where are we at? Talk, talk at home as a couple. Think through. Kids, to think through. This is why we say, man, sex is, is a gift from God. After marriage, because you're not ready to handle these things. 
Because you don't want to be in the place of going, man, what should we do? This will ruin my life. Um, this will ruin my life. We've got to make this quick decision. That, that's why the beauty of sex is, is for a man and a woman married together, right? And so all of those things, so what does that mean for us as parents? What does that mean for us as um, single people? What does that mean um, for us as neighbors? What does that mean for us as, as a church body wanting to see God's glory, to see total reform happen in this? Again, starting with prayer.